morning, everybody. How you doing today? Nice. Good to see you in church today. We're thrilled that you are here. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge, and I get the privilege of getting to share with you God's word today. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and welcome all of our guests today. Thank you so much for being here. If this is your first time, if you're new or you're newer to the bridge, we're thrilled that you're here today, that you're in church with us. It means so much every single week to be able to host new people, new guests here at the church. So thank you again for being here, for taking the time to be here with us today. We know there's a lot of great churches here in the Temecula Valley, and so when you choose to come to the bridge, that means a lot to us, and we're glad that we get to share in this morning with you. If this is your very first time, we invite you to stop by the info center right after service, or more importantly, just hang out, meet some of the people that call this place home, and make the bridge what it is, because we would love to connect with you, get to know you, and as Pastor said in Church News, meet you at Connecting Point, hopefully in a couple of weeks, because we really are happy that you are here today. So, if you, like me, you're a regular here at the bridge, would you just join me right now? Let's put our hands together and welcome all of our guests to church today. Awesome. Good to be in church with you today. If you got your Bibles, would you meet me in Mark chapter 5? The New Testament Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And today I want to bring you a message called Faith Interruptions. Faith Interruptions. And, you know, interruptions are kind of a funny thing because when I stop and I think about the word interruption, I think about a plan that I've made, a course that I've kind of set, a map, something that I've charted where I'm planning to do this to go this way or that way in this amount of time and it should take me this much time to get here and then to get there and accomplish everything that's in front of me. But interruptions come unexpectedly. Sometimes they come as surprises. They sneak up on us and they mess with our plans. And I don't know about you, But I don't like interruptions. I don't think any of us would lift a hand and say that we like interruptions because interruptions are the things that we do not plan for. And when interruptions come, we have a hard time dealing with sometimes. And I was thinking a little bit about this. Like maybe you've made a plan to go somewhere and you thought, well, it's this many miles and it ought to take me this much time until you get on the freeway and unexpectedly there was an accident. That was an interruption that you weren't planning for. And interruptions like that have a way of just totally throwing a wrench into our plans, into our day, sometimes messing with our joy and our attitude. We don't like interruptions. Sometimes we deal with big interruptions in life, but sometimes there's small, annoying interruptions. I have kids. I have three kids, actually. They're seven, four, and one. And we're trying to be good parents and teach our kids not to interrupt adults especially, but other people when they are talking. How many think that's a good thing to teach your kids? Because, yes, you guys are enthusiastic about that. All right, when we start talking about Jesus, you got to be equally enthusiastic, right? But what's funny about this is that as parents, we just know that interruptions are going to come. But we try to deal with them in stride and, you know, kind of take them as they come and try to teach our kids the right way when they interrupt others. So if my son interrupts my daughter or my daughter, one of my daughters interrupts my son, we try to stop them and let them know, no. Because not only is that an inconvenient thing to experience, but honestly, it's just rude. It's inconsiderate to interrupt somebody else. And so we try to teach our kids not to do that. But let's be honest. Interruptions are a two-way street. Because as much as we don't like it when someone interrupts us, if we're honest, we all have to admit that sometimes we interrupt others, right? Whether it's the plans that we make that suddenly throw a wrench into somebody else's life. Or when we're having a conversation and they're really trying to get something off their chest. There's something they want to say, something they want to communicate. But we just keep interjecting and interrupting because we have something that we want to continually throw in. And we all know what that frustration feels like. But let's be honest. Sometimes we are the inflictors of that same frustration. Because as much as we don't like being interrupted, honestly, sometimes we do some interrupting ourselves. 
But here's one of the things that I've kind of come to understand over time, and I think everybody will understand this as well. Sometimes that are in, there are interruptions that are essential. Sometimes that are in, there are interruptions that have to be made. There are interruptions that have to happen. And the reason why is because sometimes there are emergencies. And so it doesn't matter what you might be talking about right now. If this emergency has arisen, I've got to get your attention right now, even if you're in the middle of a conversation. It might be rude, and it might seem inconsiderate in the moment, but when I tell you what's going on, you're going to understand, and you're going to say, it's cool, I understand why you interrupted me. There might be an answer that I need to a question that I have, and only you have that answer. And time is of the essence, so I come to you, and I interrupt, and it might seem rude, and it might seem inconsiderate, but when you find out the question that I answered and, why time, and how time was of the essence, you'll understand that in this case, the interruption was essential. An interruption had to take place. When you look at Mark chapter 5, we actually see a series of interruptions take place with a couple of familiar stories that intersect. And I love this passage of Scripture because there are two stories here that stand out to me, really three, two of which we're going to focus on. But these two stories stand alone as great stories in the life and ministry of Jesus. But context is king, and when we put these two things together, we see that Jesus actually handles interruptions in a very interesting manner because he doesn't get offended and he doesn't get upset. Instead, he deals with interruptions and he takes them in stride. We see two or three different interruptions happen throughout the course of this passage. And I think the thing that it shows us is that there are some times where we will face needs in our life where we have to run and throw our life at the feet of Jesus, interrupt him with whatever he might be doing, and get his attention because we have a need that is great. But then there are other times in our walk and in our faith journey where our faith will be interrupted by challenges that we face that are not pleasant that are not fun, they're not comfortable. In fact, they're incredibly difficult. And what do we do when we face these interruptions of faith or faith interruptions? Let's look at a couple of stories here in Mark chapter 5 and look at how Jesus handled these things. Let's read, first of all, starting in verse 21 of Mark 5. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, and quick context on this, if you read the beginning of Mark 5, Jesus has just come back across the lake where he's just been over and visited a man that we know was legion. He had a legion of demons or evil spirits living inside of him. He cast them out. Jesus does this amazing, miraculous work. This man goes back and his village doesn't even recognize him because he's a changed man. Jesus is now coming back to the other side of the lake. And it says at the end of verse 21, a great multitude gathered to Jesus and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of, a, of the synagogue came. Those are important words. One of the rulers of the synagogue came. Jairus was his name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and she will live. Finally, verse 24. So Jesus went with him. I'm going to read that part one more time because it's a really important part of this verse to hold on to. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, I want to give you some take-homes, three take-homes throughout the course of this message, but in the midst of all this, some smaller, more minor observations that I want to point out from this, these first four verses that we've just read. First observation that I see from these verses that we've just read is there were a lot of people trying to get Jesus' attention. Or another way of saying this, and we see this all throughout the Gospels, was that Jesus was in high demand. 
There were always a multitude of people, a large gathering of people that were chasing after Jesus, needing something from him, or wanting, him, wanting to see him do miraculous things. And it seems, unless Jesus was asleep, unless he was on a boat, or unless he had moved away with only his disciples, there were constantly people trying to get Jesus' attention. It says in verse 21 that a great multitude had gathered to Jesus. It says in verse 24 that a great multitude was following Jesus and even thronged him. Now that's a word that shows up here. We're reading from the New King James, but that word's even in the Old King James. And in the original writings, it literally means that Jesus was pressed on all sides. He was surrounded by people to the point that they were pressed up against him in all directions. And the picture I get in my head is I remember when I was younger, like in my 20s, going to concerts where you would get up close to the stage and there's tons of people on the floor and you are pressed from all sides. And a lot of you, that just freaks you out in the COVID era to even think that people would be shoulder to shoulder with you. But I remember going to these concerts, and it was like you couldn't move in the direction you wanted to go. You had to go whichever direction the crowd pushed you because you were thronged. You were pressed on all sides. And looking back, I can't believe I put myself in that situation sometimes. (laughs) But that's literally what it says about Jesus and the multitudes that followed him and even thronged him or surrounded him, pressing him from all sides. That's the first observation that I see here, Jesus being pressed, Jesus having people after him at all times. But the second observation that I see from those four verses, and probably more importantly, is that Jesus is not annoyed, offended, or inconvenienced by Jairus coming and interrupting him in his path. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us where Jesus was going exactly. Or if there was somebody specific that Jesus was going to talk to. Or a destination that Jesus had given his disciples out loud. The scripture doesn't tell us that. But everything that we gather from scripture would tell us that when Jesus got off the boat, he was probably going in one direction with a plan until suddenly Jairus comes and throws his life at Jesus' feet. And this would have been an interruption, a disturbance, maybe even an inconvenience to Jesus for wherever it is that Jesus and his disciples were planning to go. But again, the thing that I love about this is that Jesus is not annoyed, offended, or inconvenienced by Jairus' interruption and by Jairus' need. And here's the point that I want to make to you in this observation. I don't know what's going on in your life, and you might even look around at the billions of people that live on the, on the planet Earth today and say, man, God must be busy. I don't know if he cares about my need when you consider the problems in the world. Can I tell you something today? God is not annoyed, he's not inconvenienced, and he is not bothered by your need. In fact, he wants to get involved, and he wants to bring solutions to the problems that you might have. Come on, that's better news than what we're clapping for today. Jesus cares about our every need. He's not annoyed, he's not bothered. He's not aloof. He wants to be involved in what's going on in your life. Amen? Amen. But there's a third observation that I think is really cool here, and it's that this man Jairus has expressed incredible faith to Jesus. You might say, well, all he did was just come and bring his need to Jesus, and all he did was just fall at Jesus' feet. No, he did a whole lot more than that, and I'll tell you why. Because Scripture identifies this man Jairus as a ruler of the synagogue. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't involved in synagogue ministry. Instead, this was a man who would have taken care of the physical arrangements of the temple or the synagogue for the priests and for the other Jews who would have been coming to worship or to sacrifice or to whatever else they would have been doing at the temple. It was his responsibility to facilitate these things, to take care of the house of God, if you will. And so when Jairus comes, the thing you have to understand is that Jairus would have worked closely with priests with religious leaders, which would have included Pharisees, scribes, 
Sadducees? And what do you think those people would have said if they saw this man Jairus come and throw himself at Jesus' feet expressing faith that Jesus could heal his daughter? They would have been cynical. They would have doubted this. They probably would have called him a heretic and most likely would have kicked him out of the synagogue. Think about the risk involved with Jairus here as he comes and he lays his life at at Jesus' feet. This is incredible faith that's expressed by Jairus. Does everybody see this picture? This is incredible faith because what Jairus is doing is he's saying, my need is so dire and my need is so great that I'm willing to risk my future because my daughter means that much to me. And I love the faith that's expressed here because he comes knowing he's risking his future and his faith is that the future doesn't matter, the present is more important because that represents my daughter's life or my daughter's death. And in faith, he reaches out and lays all of this before Jesus. Now, I told you I had some bigger, broader takeaways, and this is the first one I'm going to give you today if you're taking notes, okay? And I'm really believing that these are going to hit home with people who might be walking through some challenges or difficulties today. Number one takeaway for this message, there's a special place in the heart of God for the brokenhearted. Let that sink in for a minute. If you're dealing with something tough or you've come out of a tough season, or you've dealt with some hurt or some pain or some grief, some sorrow of some kind. There's a special place in the heart of God for the brokenhearted. It's hard for me to read this passage of Scripture without thinking about my own two daughters. I have two daughters that are seven and one, and I also have a son in the middle, but no matter if it's a boy or a girl, son or a daughter, it doesn't matter. You think about your kids, and you immediately understand what it was that Jairus was feeling in this moment. And when he comes and he gets in the way of Jesus and he interrupts Jesus in his path and he gets Jesus' attention and he presents his need, what's so cool about Jesus' response to him is it shows that there's a special place in the heart of God for the brokenhearted. When we come together on Sundays, we love to be encouraged and we love to be built up in our faith and that's very important. Most of us will need that. But there are many of us who sometimes come into church or we gather with other believers and we've walked through difficulty, we've walked through hurt, we've walked through disappointment, grief, or even sorrow. I'm going to tie this together at the end of the message today, but I want to say to every person here today who's got some hurt in your heart from things that you've walked through, maybe recently or years gone by, there's a special place in the heart of God for the brokenhearted. Scripture says in Psalm 34 and verse 18 that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love the way that that's written because it doesn't just say that, the God, that God is near to those who have a broken heart, but it says that he saves those who are crushed in spirit because sometimes in our walk and our journey of faith, when we have these interruptions that happen in our life, it can discourage us to the point that not only do we have a broken heart, but our spirit can start to get crushed because, God, that wasn't what I was planning for. I didn't plan on this happening, God, and I know that you're good and I know what your word promises, but I didn't see this coming. God is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves those whose spirits are crushed. God doesn't want your spirit to stay crushed. He wants to be there to walk with you through difficult seasons so that you can see the better things that he has in front of you. Amen? I love this other verse of Scripture in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. The writer of Hebrews says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Other ways of translating this would say this. Our God, Jesus, who took on flesh, God incarnate, he's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Do you know what that means? That means that there is no grief, no hurt, no loss, no sorrow, no pain that you have experienced that Jesus does not relate to. 
When Jesus hung on that cross on his darkest day, many of the people that he called friends were nowhere to be found. And I don't say that discompassionately at all today. In fact, I say it because Jesus is the one who gives the most compassion. He's the one who is the prince of peace who can step into these hurts and these wounds that we have and bring peace and bring comfort. But it's so important for us as Christians to never lose sight of this truth and this reality that no matter what hurt we might experience in life, Jesus has experienced it too. Because he was God who took on flesh to relate to us, to come to us, to build the bridge so that we could know God. And then finally, in Isaiah 53, I love this. This is the passage of scripture that, of course, prophesies the coming of the Messiah. It says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. There's no sorrow or grief that we could ever experience in this life that Jesus has not related to. Can I tell you something? Jesus sympathizes with whatever pain you have experienced. Why? Because there's a special place in the heart of God for the brokenhearted. Now, I want to draw your attention to the rest of this passage that we just read and talk about what happens with Jesus and Jairus before we move on. I love this because at the end of this scripture, what it says right here in verse 24 is that after Jairus has come and he's presented this need and he's stepped out in faith and he's given all this to Jesus, verse 24 says something so simple, but it's incredibly profound. It says very simply, and Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. With him. I need you to get this today. So everybody say this with me. Jesus went with him. Can I tell you something today? Jairus did not yet know what the outcome of the story was going to be, but there's one thing he did know. Between where he was and where he was going, Jesus was going to go with him. You might not yet know the outcome of your story, but one thing I can tell you, Jesus is going to go there with you. You might not know how this thing is going to end. You might be praying for one thing, and that's fantastic. We should hold fast to the truth of God's word. We should be confessing and believing God's truth and his promises over our life. But we aren't responsible for controlling the outcome. We're simply responsible for controlling our faith. And between here and there, the one thing that we can rest in is that Jesus is going with us. So it's good news, right? Jesus is walking with Jairus. And I want you to just put yourself in Jairus' shoes for a minute. All right, I've interrupted Jesus. I've got his attention. And even though I'm a little bit worried and I'm a little bit concerned because my daughter's pretty much laying on her deathbed, everything's going to be cool in just a couple of minutes, right? Because Jesus is walking with me. Jesus is coming to my house to meet my need with my daughter. And once we get there, he's going to lay hands on her. He's going to heal her. And everything's going to be cool. But what do you do when things don't go the way that you thought they would? What do you do when you thought you had God's attention, but things don't happen as smoothly or as quickly as you had hoped? Jairus probably thought that everything was going to be cool in just a matter of moments. He probably didn't foresee what was going to happen next. Look what happens next here in verse 25, because suddenly it's like a different story starts to play out. Verse 25 says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes for just a minute. You've laid everything at the feet of Jesus. You've risked your future, declaring in faith that he can heal your daughter. And Jesus starts walking with you on your way to your house to heal your daughter. And suddenly this woman pops into the story. I don't understand how this fits into the story, God. We were on a walk to my house, remember, because my daughter and my need and my thing. Isn't it interesting how when you face a huge need, it's like the rest of the world should stand still? And I'm sure that that's exactly how Jairus thought because he, he couldn't see the outcome just, just yet. He only knew that Jesus was with him. But suddenly this woman pops into the story and starts to mess with the narrative that Jairus thought was going to play out. Look what happens again. Verse 25. 
Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. That's an interesting text if you really read what it's actually saying. This woman had dealt with this 12-year issue of a hemorrhage in her body. And not only has she suffered from the hemorrhage, she'd suffered even more from the solutions that the doctors tried to bring that did not work. And then it goes on and it says, She was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Imagine the disciples and their sarcasm right here. But his disciples said to him, do you see the multitude that's thronging you, Jesus? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. So imagine when it says, told him the whole truth. What I picture is Jairus is standing over there like, come on, Jesus, we're walking here. Woman, just take your healing and move on. He doesn't need to hear your life story right now. My daughter is sick. Jesus, time is of the essence. I interrupted you. We've been walking. What's going on? You've been healed. You're good. On your way now. My daughter's still laying in bed. And I imagine that there's this kind of frustration and anxiety, this tension that's mounting in Jairus' heart as he stands there waiting for Jesus to keep coming, but instead Jesus is giving his attention to somebody else. See, we said earlier that Jairus went and interrupted Jesus to get his attention. And Jairus was probably grateful when Jesus was happy to take on this interruption. But how does Jairus handle this interruption when this woman has now interjected herself into the story? See, what do you do when you're waiting on God to do something for you and it hasn't happened yet, but you're looking at all the great things he's doing for everybody else? Are you encouraged or are you discouraged because it hasn't happened yet for you? I think, again, sometimes we look at the busyness of life and the billions of people on the planet and we say, God, it looks like you're doing so many great things for other people, but I've been waiting on you to do this thing for me for quite some time and it hasn't happened yet. I want to just say to you today that our God is a God who never runs out of miracles. And he can do all things for all people at all times simultaneously. And every single time that we see God doing something good for somebody else, it shouldn't discourage us in our timeline. It should encourage us that we are getting one step closer to the destiny that God has for us. Be encouraged today when you see other people, God's doing good things for them. Don't be discouraged. Know that your turn is coming. You're one step closer and just keep walking with Jesus, no matter the interruption. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't want to lose my place here. <laughs> but I love the way that the story plays out because essentially what this says is that after this woman has gotten her healing, she stands there and she tells Jesus the whole truth, the whole story of what's happened to her in her life. And finally, in verse 34, and Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, it it bears saying this right here and now. There is a partnership between God's divine healing power and my faith and his ability. Everybody get that? My faith is always a crucial part of the formula when it comes to believing God to do miraculous things in my life. A lot of times we're told that faith means nothing to it. Jesus said that she was made well because of her faith. There's a divine partnership that takes place here where God extends his supernatural power, but I have to reach out and grab it the same way that I do my salvation I have to reach out and grab it by faith. 
So whatever it is that you're believing for, don't just wait for God to drop it on you one day. Keep walking it out in faith, believing that it's coming because this is a divine partnership. Amen? Now, as we read through that passage, just want to point out a couple of quick parallel observations that are there. Number one, again, desperate times call for desperate measures. Because Jairus comes and he throws, his feet, he throws himself at Jesus' feet to get his attention and interrupt him from whatever it was that he was doing. And in the exact same way, this woman who has this 12-year hemorrhage that cannot be cured and she's only gotten worse, she doesn't care what's going on in Jairus' life. She's like, I'm going to interrupt Jesus right here, right now, because I'm not waiting any longer for my healing. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But again, here's the beauty of this. I don't know what Jairus was thinking as he sat back and watched Jesus do this as his journey, his walk was being interrupted. But what I do know is that, again, Jesus was not offended, he was not inconvenienced, and he was not annoyed by this interruption. And it just bears repeating one more time that if there's something that's going on in your life, whether it be big or small, it's never bothersome to bring it to God and say, God, this is what's going on. I don't know what else you have going on right now. I don't want, know what your schedule looks like today, Lord, but I want you to know that it feels like everything in my life is revolving around this. And if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. And with that said, I want to give you the, the second big takeaway of this message today. The heart of God can always feel the touch of the hand of faith. The heart of God can always feel the touch of the hand of faith. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Zach? See, when we read through that passage of Scripture, what we see is that when this woman came to Jesus, it wasn't like she had the intention of going and telling her life story to Jesus. In fact, the picture that I have in my mind is I see this woman wanting to approach Jesus, believing that she's going to get her healing. And when she sees this great multitude, she thinks, man, this is going to be a struggle, and this is going to be some work. But if I can fight through this crowd and just play a quick game of tag with Jesus where I can reach out and just hit his wardrobe, hit his garment, I believe that in that moment I will be healed. And she has the faith to stretch out and just touch his garment, just touch his robe, believing that that will be sufficient to bring her healing. And what's so cool about it is the scripture tells us that as soon as she finally makes her way up there, she fights through that crowd. She gets all the way up to Jesus, and she doesn't yet tell him her life story. She just reaches out and touches that garment. And Bible says that right there in that moment, she feels that healing virtue flow into her body. And not only that, but Jesus feels power come from him and, and go to her, bringing that healing. And Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? Like we said, the disciples were probably like, Jesus, we're thronged. We're pressed on all sides. There's thousands of people who've been trying to get a piece of you, trying to touch you. What do you mean who touched me? So many people have touched me. And I think right there in that moment, Jesus was saying, yeah, but she touched me different. Because that wasn't just another one of the followers here in the crowd. That wasn't just a fan who's coming to check out what's going on. It was like I was touched by the hand of faith because something went from me that brought healing to her body. And I want to say this one more time because it's so incredibly important that we all take this home today. The heart of God can always feel the touch of the hand of faith. I was thinking about that idea of followers and, and fans. You know, Jesus had his disciples. He had other, others who followed him closely. 
But then there are always people who are a part of the crowd, and they might as well have just been fans coming to check out the local celebrity who's been doing miraculous things. Let's see him do a sign. Let's see him do a wonder. But for this woman, this was not an abstract experience or encounter. This was her personal well-being, her life, and her livelihood. She had been sick with this issue for 12 years. The doctors had only made it worse. She spent all of her money looking for help, and at this point, she's broke, and she doesn't know how much longer she's going to keep, be able to keep living like this. So when she comes to God, this is no longer abstract. She says, I am I'm going to do anything that I have to do to get your attention. And when she reached out in faith, Jesus was able to feel her hand specifically touching him. You know, again, sometimes we look at life and we think, God, you must be busy. Man, billions of people on the planet. We all watch the news. We see what's going on all over the world. God, there's surely bigger fish to fry. There's surely bigger issues, bigger concerns to you than the stuff that's going on in my little life. And I think sometimes God looks down and says, no, in fact, if you'd reach up in faith, I'm going to feel that touch because I love it when people reach out to me in faith. I love to meet needs when people reach out and touch the heart of God in faith. And that's exactly what Jesus experienced here. And this woman got her healing as a result. You know, this story shows us that our God is a very interruptible God. Think about that for a minute. We teach our kids not to interrupt when we're talking. We teach our kids not to interrupt one another. We don't like it when we're interrupted. But when we find ourselves in a dire situation, we see all throughout Scripture that people will run to God and interrupt him, interrupt Jesus, no matter where it is that he's going. And again, what's so cool about it is that Jesus isn't inconvenienced. He's not offended. He's not upset. And I think this proves the point to us that our God is a very interruptible God. And today, if you feel like your need is too small, is too insignificant, or even if your need is really big, you just feel like you're one small need in the, you know, the, the world that has tons of needs, can I tell you something today? There is nothing that is insignificant about your life to our God. He cares about all the details of your life. And if you reach out in faith, the heart of God always feels the touch of the hand of faith. So this woman gets her healing, but wait, hold on. We forgot about Jairus. What about Jairus? Remember, Jairus was walking with Jesus just a few minutes ago, right? Jairus was on his way to his house so that Jesus could go and heal his daughter. And while all this plays out, remember Jairus, poor Jairus is over here like, come on, Jesus, what's going on? I wonder if Jairus was encouraged by what he saw or if he was discouraged because this was taking longer than he had planned. We don't know. What we do know is that in the very next verse, Jairus gets some bad news. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, in other words, he's still speaking to this woman who had the 12-year hemorrhage, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from Jairus' house, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, let that sink in for a minute, what's just happened. In that moment, what's going through Jairus' heart? Jesus, if it hadn't been for that woman, Jesus, if I'd gotten your attention sooner, Jesus, if we had walked faster, Jesus, wh why? I told you, we were going. You got distracted. There was a disruption. You were interrupted. I feel like my life's been interrupted, and now I get this bad. Why? Jesus, why? Why did this have to happen? Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken to Jairus, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Everybody pause right here for just a moment. What do you do when you face discouragement, disappointment, or bad news in your journey of faith? I believe that right here the words of Jesus are so clear. Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, 
only believe. I want you to ask yourself this question right now. What's that thing I'm facing right now? Whether it's an impossibility or just a really big obstacle, what's the thing you're facing right now that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that you're facing that you can't stop thinking about day in and day out? That thing that seems to be getting bigger with every passing day because it hasn't yet been resolved. Do you know what Jesus' instructions are for that thing that you're facing? Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid of what? Don't be afraid of the outcome that you're trying to talk yourself into right now. That thing that you're worried about, that you can't control. Don't be afraid of it. Only believe. Only believe what? What are the promises of God for your situation? What does God's word declare about what you're walking through right now? Oh, but Zach, I haven't seen it come to pass yet. Yeah, that's right, but that doesn't mean that God's word isn't still true. God is always faithful. He's always true to his word, and if he said it, will he not do it? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Why? Because Jesus is walking with you. Now, look what happens next. Verse 37. And Jesus permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Man, that's really important. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 38, then Jesus came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. In other words, it's chaos now at Jairus' house because his daughter has passed away. Verse 39, when he came in, Jesus said to them, or they, excuse me, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Can I tell you something? It takes a lot of guts to say that. Jesus better know what he's about to do, right? He better know that this is really going to happen. I mean, you're going to walk in and say something like that. Jesus better have control of the situation. Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Finally, verse 40, and they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Now, this is the third and final takeaway that I want to give you today from this message, okay? If you're taking notes, number three. When facing impossibility, surround yourself with faith-filled friends and clear your house of doubt and disbelief. When facing impossibility, surround yourself with faith-filled friends and clear your house. You might have to open the door for them and push them out. Clear your house of doubt and disbelief. Scripture says here that when Jesus finds out, when they get this bad news, this bad report, it's as if the outcome is seldom. What does Jesus do? He keeps walking to Jairus' house. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. But what's cool here, and think about this, I imagine Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, okay, I'm going to keep going to Jairus' house. Jairus is coming with me. His family's going to be there. Peter, James, John, come on, let's go do this. The rest of you guys, I'm not sure you're ready for this one just yet. Can you imagine how offended those guys probably were in that moment? They didn't get to see Jesus raise this girl from the dead. But the point is this. Jesus knew that there was an impossibility that was in front of him, and in order for it to be overcome, he was going to have to bring people of faith with him. What are you facing? What's your impossibility? What's your difficulty? Okay, here's the bigger question. Who are you listening to? I think this is one of the things about the house of God that's so beautiful. Man, we live in a day and age where Christians just want to question the purpose of the gathering and being in the house of God. Can I tell you something? The house of God is filled with the people of God who are faith-filled people who can walk us through difficult situations and stand in faith believing in God's word. And I think that's one of the things that we devalue sometimes. We devalue the faith-filled people that God wants to put around us so that we can walk in victory in our everyday lives. 
So Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John. When he gets there, he finds out that Jairus' house is chaos. There's all these naysayers. There's all the cynicism that's happening. In fact, it even says that they're giving Jesus a hard time. Why, why are you even here, Jesus? And Jesus kicks them all out of the house. Man, clearing our house of doubt and disbelief is a big, important step that a lot of us have to take if we want to see God do great things in our lives. If we want to see God meet our needs, we have to choose to kick doubt and disbelief out of our house. And that might look different, differently for different people. For some of you, it's friends. For some of us, it's friends. It's family members. For some of us, it's the news channel that is on all day long. <laughs> and sometimes we allow those voices just permeate and be the loudest voice in our room when Jesus and the voice of God needs to be the loudest voice in our life. The one that we're holding on to, the one that we're listening to. Kicking doubt and disbelief out of our home so that we can see God's victory manifest in our lives and in our families. Amen? But we have to be willing to do that hard work. Jesus took his closest friends. When times get tough, you need to surround yourself with people of faith. Then you need to clear your house, your house of doubt, disbelief, and cynicism. There's nothing worse than being around cynical people who are always looking for the worst outcome. They want to just sit back and laugh about the whole thing and just point off from a distance. Can I tell you something? When you're a real person going through real stuff, you need real people of real faith to stand with you. You've got to clear your house of doubt and disbelief if you want to see God do great things and come through and meet your need. Finally, last two verses of that passage. Then Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose, walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Now that's the end of that story where Jesus literally doesn't just heal this girl, he raises her from the dead. She's passed and Jesus raises her from the dead. That's incredible. That's pretty miraculous stuff. You know, closing today, there's a couple of big takeaways that, or not takeaways, the things that I just kind of want to do right here as we close our service and our time together. You know, my hope and my prayer, first of all, I do want to say a prayer for people who are facing big obstacles in your life. You might be at a place right now where you're discouraged because there's things that you're believing God for that haven't yet come to pass and you don't see how they're going to happen. And it seems like day by day, rather than growing in faith, you're just continually discouraged. And I want to ask you, first of all, just to identify... Who are the people of faith in your life that you have not yet allowed to surround you in this walk? God doesn't want you to do your journey of faith alone. He wants you to be surrounded with faith-filled people who will encourage you. Who are those people? Think of who they are right now. Let me ask you a question. How soon can you call them? How soon can you call them? Tell them what's going on. Tell them, I just need someone to stand with me and agree with me. I feel like I'm doing it on my own. God wants to surround you with faith-filled people no matter what it is that you're facing. And then the second question I would ask you is who are the voices, what are the voices of fear and doubt and disbelief and cynicism that are discouraging you? And the second question after that is how quickly can you get rid of them? How quickly can you clear your house of those voices? If you know in your heart those two groups, the people that are faith-filled that can encourage me, the voices of doubt and discouragement and disbelief that are discouraging me, the ones I need to move out of my house. If you've identified those, I want to pray with you right now in this moment that we'll be people of actions, action, Christians of action. Father, I pray for every single person in this place right now who has a need, a difficulty, an impossibility that they are facing. God, in this message, through this text, you bring it to our attention that you want us to surround ourselves with people of faith. 
But not only that, you want us to clear our house of doubt and disbelief. God, it's not about being mystical or saying magical words. It's about clearing out those voices that come into disagreement with your promises. Today, we choose to do that. We identify the people that you've placed in our life, and we embrace them. Today, we choose to reach out to them, to call them close to us, to stand with us in faith. But this day, we also decide that we're going to step out boldly, and we're going to clear our homes of doubt and disbelief. And we're going to fill our homes with faith so that our families can step into the victory that you have promised us in your words. God, as your people, give us the strength that we need to do these things, to be obedient to your word so that we can see victory in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, everybody look up at me for just a minute. Because I want to close this way because I've had it in my heart to do this for the last couple of days. Over the last year and a half, death has made its way to our doorstep. Right? It seems like that's all we ever hear about. But for many of us, it's been more than just what we've heard about. It's been something we've experienced, whether it be up close, whether it be in friends, family, loved ones, or a little bit more distant, but we've seen it from a distance happening. Over the last year and a half, death has made its way to our doorstep and tried to surround us as if we have no hope. For many of us, we've seen death closely and recently. If the enemy were to get his way, the people of God would lose heart and begin to believe the lie that death in this life is the final outcome. As we were reading through this passage of Scripture, there was just one thing that jumped out to me at the very end, and I'm going to be quick, we're almost out of time, but Jesus said to this girl, or said to this family in verse 39 when he walked in, he said that this child is not dead, she is only sleeping. Like I said, that was a bold statement. What's interesting about it is this this parallels what Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And this is a passage of scripture that we read at funerals and memorial services all the time. Paul said in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Notice Paul doesn't even dignify death as a final outcome or a final destination. He's talking here simply about earthly bodily death as sleep. It's temporary. There's an eternal destination that we will one day get to, but right now, death in this life, it's temporary. It's just sleep. Those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are who alive and remain, and so the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let me say that again. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then Paul concludes by saying, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I want to remind you today these words of Paul because as believers in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ when death visits us, even though the, this, may, this experience of grief and sorrow that we experience in life is real, we do not sorrow hopelessly. We sorrow hope fully. Why? Because we understand that every death in Christ is followed by a glorious resurrection. 
And I've had it in my heart to say that today because for every single time we read these passages of Scripture where Jesus pulls off this miracle, there's always many of us who will look at our own life and our own experiences and we'll say, but why didn't that happen for me? I prayed, I believed, I trusted, I was hoping, I was believing, and I was standing in faith and agreement, believing that it was going to play out this way, but it just didn't, it didn't go the way I was praying. And sometimes those experiences can be these big interruptions in life that if the enemy got his way, would discourage us from continuing on in the life that God has called us to. And can I tell you something today? Grief and hurt and sorrow and pain are real. They're real. And it would be totally uncompassionate to pretend that they're not. But when Paul said in, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, what he was saying that death is something that brings sorrow and loss to those who remain. But on the other side, I recognize that this is an invitation for me to take my eyes off of time and focus in to eternity. And if you're here today and you read these passages of Scripture and you see this, stories, this story and you say, that's fantastic and I believe God can do it, but I've had a different experience in some area of my life. Is it possible that God might use these interruptions as invitations for us to take our eyes off of time and set them into eternity? Why? Because every death in Christ is always followed by a glorious resurrection. And I want to tell you something today. This is not the end of the journey. God has new things in front of you still. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged and hold on to these words of Paul and let them be things that comfort you even in your time of loss. I want to pray a prayer right now for everybody who might have felt some sort of loss. When you hear this, maybe that encourages you, it brings hope, it brings comfort to your heart. I want to pray right now that God would do that supernatural work of hope and comfort in your life right now. Father, for those of us who are here today that we've experienced some sort of hope or some sort of loss that's left us feeling hopeless, God, I pray that these interruptions would be invitations when we look past what's going on in time and see the bigger eternal picture. It doesn't mean that this grief or this sorrow or this loss isn't real. It is. But Father, your word declares that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We look forward with hope in our hearts, knowing that eternity still awaits us. And the time that you have given us is incredibly valuable because to live is Christ. Jesus, you promised, just like with Jairus, to walk with us in the time that we have. And I pray that we would have an eternal perspective during time as you walk with us to see everything you're calling us to so that we can finish well and finish strong. Bring peace. Bring healing. Bring comfort to hearts today, God, that have experienced disappointment or hurt. I pray that you would be close to people today. You're near to the brokenhearted, and you save those with a crushed spirit. We look to you because we believe that your word is true and your promises are real. And we stand on that today in this moment, in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and we talk about hope, do you have the hope of eternity in your heart? Do you know that if you walked out of this place today and your life were to somehow, some way come to an end, that you would have eternity settled because of a relationship with God? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever asked him to come into your heart? Scripture tells us that's the only way to come into relationship with God. If you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I would be absolutely honored today to pray with you and help you start that walk, that journey of faith with Jesus as the Lord of your life, knowing that he will give you purpose for this life 
and walk you into the future that he has for you in eternity as well. Scripture tells us that we're all sinners. We've all made mistakes, but it was Jesus who was sent to this earth to live a sinless life and die a death that we deserve so that we could be made right with God. If we would put our faith in him, we could experience salvation and forgiveness. If you've never done that before and you want to experience that, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Repeat these words right after me, right out loud, right in front of everybody. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. So today, I choose you, I put my faith in you, and my trust in you. I will walk with you all the days of my life into eternity. Thank you for receiving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to be done here with service in just a couple of minutes, but just out of respect for everybody here, hang tight to the end of service because this is very, very important. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we want to help you start your journey of faith because that's the best decision you could ever make. We want to give you a free gift. It's called The Next Seven Days, and there's two different ways that you can get it if you're here in the room. If you're watching online, there's going to be a link right there on your screen. You can just click on that link, and we'll give you instructions on how it is that you can get the next seven days to start your walk with God and your journey of faith. If you're in the room and you would like to get the next seven days because you made that decision today, we're going to have prayer teams right down here on the sides of the floor up against these side walls. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams and let them know that today you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give that to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. If you have a need, you want someone to pray with you, please come see one of our prayer teams because that's why they're here. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We would love to meet you and help you get started in your journey of faith. We are glad that you made that decision. Can we just put our hands together and welcome people into God's family today? And welcome Pastor Anna. She comes to close us out this morning. Hey, can we give Pastor Zach a hand for that great, great message this morning? It was awesome. So good. Oh, it has been great being in church with you today. We're so glad you're here. And, you know, this is the time in our service when we worship God with our giving. And as we prepare to do that today, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your continual faithfulness and generosity in giving. We are a generous church. And, you know, this morning I was just thinking back over this summer here at the bridge and all of the different events and outreaches that we have been able to do. It's because of your collective giving that so many lives have been touched. Children's through our camps and youth through youth sponsorships for camps and events and our community through our back to school bash and even across the globe through the different missions efforts that we are part of. Every time we give here at the bridge, we are making a difference in people's lives. And so we are just so grateful for your faithfulness in giving. And as we prepare to give today, you can see the different ways in which you can give on the screens. And if you prefer to give in person, there are envelopes on the chair backs and there is a few giving stations. There are two inside the auditorium just before you exit on the outside of the exit doors. And then another one located in the foyer right before you enter into the Bridge Kids area. All right. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. God bless you as you give today. And hey, just before we go, 
A quick reminder, if you are interested in being a new Connect Group leader here at the Bridge, we would love to have you on the team. And whether you signed up for the meeting or not, we do have a meeting for new Connect Group leaders happening during our second service starting at 1130. And it is located in our music and arts room, which is just outside the side exit of the room on my left, your right. You'll see signs directed you from there. All right. And hey, don't forget baptisms next week. If you want to be baptized, you can sign up online or out in the foyer before you go today. All right. Have an awesome week. We love you.